1: We continue our study of Ephesians with Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. This passage reads, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This section of God's Word has been seriously abused in our generation in the theological minefield called spiritual warfare. As winds of doctrine go, that one was a hurricane. We are indeed involved in warfare, but we need to understand this warfare from the scriptures, which contain all we need to know, just as God wanted us to know it. We need to be discerning, calm, and wise to sift out the extra biblical things we're being told these days, and there's plenty of it, The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, war is declared against you. We are not the aggressors in this war. We are the ones under attack. Please listen to Pastor Jim as he delivers today's slice of this week's message entitled, This is War, Part 1. Now it's time to turn to Ephesians, Chapter
0: 6 where today we begin the final section of Ephesians. This section even begins with the word, finally, and it makes a very pungent point. We who belong to Jesus Christ are an army under attack, engaged in warfare on enemy territory. Now, because we are on enemy territory, We have to live this life surrounded by circumstances that are frequently not friendly to our beliefs and our values, and there is enemy propaganda everywhere around us. There are subtle and not so subtle assaults on our priorities and and our whole purpose in life to glorify God. Our society pushes everyone toward selfishness rather than sacrificial servanthood, Personal comfort and indulgence are constantly lifted up as the highest goals in life. Be happy, have everything. You, you need this new widget of whatever it is. And the enemy in whose territory we operate is really crafty, really subtle. He is okay with just seeing complacency about eternal things. He has taught people that uh, it's okay for um, people to be Christians. Um, It's just one interest that people might have. You know, some people play tennis, some people do uh, gardening, some like hiking, and, and some like going to church, doing that Christian thing. And it's fine as long as it's viewed as one option that a, might, that a person might choose, because after all, the whole point is personal comfort, right? And if that makes you comfortable, well, uh, that's okay, but don't you dare go outside the walls of the place where you worship and speak truth, which contradicts error around you. Now, I want to give you a, a broader perspective before we dive into our text. We're just going to dip our toe in this morning. We'll get a verse and a half of our text for today, and we'll finish it next time. But I want you to have a a broader picture of what this is all about because this is all through the New Testament. Jesus, on a fateful day, I guess they were all fateful days in Jesus' life, but on an extremely significant day when the Pharisees and the scribes had gone public with their open, loud, total denunciation and rejection of Jesus. And they said, everything he does, he does by the power of Satan himself. And that was a big day. A lot of, that, a lot of events of that day are recorded. And among them, Jesus then uh, spoke seven parables. That was the day that he stopped teaching plainly in a straightforward way, like in the Sermon on the Mount. And when he was in a public setting where there were believers and unbelievers, he would speak in parables to reveal new truth to those who believed and to, um, and to veil it from those who were rejecting Him. Well, seven of those parables are recorded in Matthew 13, and they all describe the age in which now we live. Jesus came as the king. They rejected the king. Israel rejected the possibility of having a a kingdom there with their king on the throne in Jerusalem. And so Jesus began to reveal that there was going to be this era in the kingdom program of God in which the king would be physically absent. And then he was going to uh, come again. And he illustrated those things in these seven Parables. You can skim through Matthew 13 if you want to, but I'm just going to summarize them for you. He started out by talking about four kinds of soil that represent four kinds of human hearts and four kinds of responses to the word of God's kingdom, the gospel. Uh, One is clear rejection. The other one is full acceptance. And in between those, the other two represent pseudo-acceptance that looks, looks good, sounds good for a while, but then the people don't stick. And Jesus was teaching there that there would, during this era, be confusion about commitment along with lots of examples of false commitment that would muddy the water. That's all part of the war that we are in. The next parable is the wheat and tares. Um, the wheat and tares represent true disciples and pseudo-believers planted next to one another, and they are indistinguishable most of the time. That, too, is part of the war. Our enemy loves to counterfeit, and he's very good at it, and he plants counterfeits among the, the true ones. Only angels dispatched by God are ultimately going to be able to sort out the difference and expose the counterfeit, and that will be when the king re- returns, then there's the parable of the, the mustard seed, <clears throat> a very small seed, usually a small plant. And that one teaches that the church was going to grow beyond what anyone would ever expect, especially to come from a movement that depended on 12 frightened, scattered common men for its foundations. And despite the unprecedented growth where this thing that's normally a little bush becomes a huge tree, that that plant which represents the church in the world, it is infiltrated by the presence of evil influences from outside. That's all part of the war. Then there's the parable of the leaven, not one less than twelve, L E A, V E N yeast. The parable of the leaven teaches that the kingdom of God on earth during this age is subject to corrupting influences from within. Like a little tiny bit of leaven, leaven's a whole lump of dough. Corruption can spread from within. The, the parables of the mustard seed mustard seed, and the, the leaven underscore that our enemy operates both externally and internally in the church. That's all part of of the war. Then there are two parables that that seem to say the same thing and reinforce them. The buried treasure and the precious pearl parables teach us that even though purchased by Christ, the full expression of the kingdom of God, the church on earth during this era, it's not immediately claimed by Him. He's going to let it grow and He's going to come back and claim it and take charge of it. And we live in a time between that transaction being made and the fulfillment of it coming to reality. It's all part of the war. Now, I need to insert there that you, you probably ought to pray a little extra for me because I just gave you an interpretation of three parables which differs from what you will read in your MacArthur Study Bible. Pray for me. That could be serious because even my good friend and mentor John can't always be right. Okay. Nothing in your MacArthur Study Bible on those parables is wrong. I just disagree that it's what that text is teaching, and both of them are actually biblical. The final parable in that chapter tells of a, a, a dragnet, not Joe Friday, but a net dragged behind the boat that brings in a great harvest of fish. There are good fish, and then there's other things that get caught up in the net that are extraneous And as there's the need for the fisherman to separate the fish he wants from what is useless to him, there will be a time of judgment to separate the good from the useless within the group of people who are, if you will, harvested by the gospel, gathered together by the gospel. In other words, the true disciples will be separated from those who merely profess to be Christians. It's all part of the war, and it's not all going to be sorted out until the king comes back. One theme is constant through all of those parables. There will be a struggle between good and evil, and the evil will be deceptive, hard to detect, and difficult to counteract. Now, as we go back to Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, is another perspective on that same truth of this battle. And in this case, we're given insight about how we must resist the forces of evil during this age in which we live. This is all part of a war, and you have been drafted into it if you belong to Christ. Now, this is a good time to remember the big picture of the book of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Tell us about our our resources in Christ and we were dead in our trespasses and sins. God made us alive uh, by what Christ has done. By grace you have been saved through faith and so now you are in Christ. That phrase and its equivalent occurs 27 times in Ephesians. And so our passage is presuming you are in Christ. You get to the second half of the book starting at chapter 4 verse 1 and 4, one through chapter 6 verse 9 is the blueprint for using those resources in Christ to live a practical, godly life. The theme of the second half of the book is announced right at the beginning of it, chapter 4 and verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called.